Well, good morning. Go ahead and take your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. We're looking at the first seven verses of chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. If you have a comment about the fact that I shaved my beard on the coldest day of winter to date, you can save it. Most everyone has said it already. I, I don't know. I'm just a nonconformist, I guess. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 is where we're at this morning. Let me read it. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all of these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you, you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now this text is, is not about money. This text is not about money at all. But before we dive in, let's think about money. It's going to help set up some of the ideas and the concepts that are contained here in, in chapter 4. Have you ever wondered why God created a world where, for most of human history, well, at least a, a significant por portion of human history, we've exchanged paper or coins or things like that for goods and services? Have you ever thought about that? Like, oftentimes I just, like, go throughout my day, and it's just part of my life. It's such a regular occurrence in my day that I'm swiping a credit card or putting my phone up now, tap to pay or whatever. But it's kind of hard to think about a world where you don't go to the grocery store and buy a bunch of bananas for a couple of dollars and pull those $2 out of your, out of your wallet. And if you need reliable transportation, you save some money and then look at Bizman. And Jesus talks a lot about money. And when we've talked about money in the past, we said the reason Jesus talks about money so much is because it opens a window to our heart. The way that we think about and use our money opens a window to our heart. It tells us what we treasure. Jesus says it very clearly. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. And with that said, it must be understood that Christians are not required to take a vow of poverty or to hate money. Right? We're not called not to love it. But hating money is not something that, that the Bible calls us to either. The Bible just simply calls us to put money in its proper place in our lives. And keeping things in their proper place is part of the definition of a steward. And we see that word used here. So when we think about biblical stewardship, I think oftentimes our minds immediately go to money. What is biblical stewardship? I just like Googled it, like define biblical stewardship. And the very first thing that popped up was something about money. But Paul is saying something very significant here to us about stewardship. And that stewardship doesn't end. Stewardship doesn't stop with our money. If we're thinking about stewardship, I'm just going to give you my simple definition. 
managing and properly using someone else's property or resources. And again, we oftentimes just apply it to our money and we think to ourselves, we think to ourselves, maybe when we hear the words biblical stewardship, the first face that pops into our mind is Dave Ramsey's and not, not the Apostle Paul's. And here's what I'm driving towards. Jesus says very clearly in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he says very clearly, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And could it be that Jesus isn't talking about so much like, hey, if you have a little bit of money and you're good with that money, then you're going to get a lot more money? Could that be not what he's saying? I think that's true. Because of the very next verse, he says in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, the very next verse, it's quite telling. He says, if you have been, uh, not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And again, what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about more money? No, he's not talking about more money. He's talking about something incredibly, a lot more important. He's talking about real treasure. He's talking about real stewardship. He's talking about something entrusted to us that's eternal, not temporary. And something far more important than stocks and bonds. Could it be that the purpose of money is so that we might demonstrate faithfulness in little? Something that we don't think about regularly and we just swipe the credit card, tap to pay, pull out the cash. Could it be, could it be that God gave us that to demonstrate faithfulness in, in little? And to be good stewards in order that True riches might be entrusted to us. What are we stewarding that isn't money? The answer is clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul writes about this morning. He writes that what we are truly stewarding, what are the true riches that we are entrusted with, isn't money, but it's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus came to earth. He lived a life of humble obedience, a life that we couldn't live and paid for our sins that had made a separation between us and our creator. And through his sacrificial death, forgiveness is extended to us, as well as a rich inheritance, eternal life and eternal joy with our creator God. If we repent, turn from our sin, and trust Jesus. That message, that message is what we are entrusted with as believers. The world needs to hear it because it is true riches. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, even as we move to the text this morning, we have to ask ourselves the question is, do we really believe that? Do we, Buffalo City Church, do we really believe that together? If we're in Christ, the most valuable thing that you walked in here this morning with is not what's in your wallet that's plastic or paper, but the truth of the gospel that resides in you. God has entrusted you with it. And we ask ourselves the question, true riches, temporary wealth. We ask ourselves the question, what do I desire more? And how can we compare something temporary with something eternal? And the, the answer is we can't. And yet, at the same time, with what Jesus says in Luke 16, 10 and 11, he who is faithful with little will also be faithful with much, the entrusting of unrighteous wealth and the entrusting of true riches, when we see that, then we know that that paper and plastic in our wallet is actually incredibly meaningful. It's incredibly important. 
Not in an eternal sense, but in a, in a stewardship one. So stewardship doesn't stop with money. And if you think of money when you think of stewardship, then you're probably a poor steward. The key indicator of poor stewardship when it comes to money is thinking too much about money. But when you think about stewardship, you think, I've been given more than mere money. In Christ, I've been entrusted with true riches. I've been entrusted with the truth of the gospel. Therefore, how can I honor God with the little things like money? Paul's stewardship in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is one of great worth. And so when we go to the text, look at the text with me. We see these seven verses. We're going to consider two things this morning. Just two questions to ask, ask ourselves. Two questions. First, what is, what is the steward's goal? What is the goal of the steward? And then secondly, what is the steward's mindset? And then we'll work towards some application and conclusion this morning. So first question, what is the steward's goal? What is the goal of the steward? And the answer is simple. I'm just going to give you the simple answer and we'll build an argument. The simple answer is to be found faithful. The steward's goal is to be found faithful. You won't be measured for how well you care for a car if someone entrusts you their car. If after the service today someone says, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like you to borrow my car for a little while so you can go do something. Drive around. Plow your driveway. I don't know. You won't be measured by how well you care for the car by anything other than your faithfulness. You won't put in a bunch of unnecessary miles on it. You won't text and drive. You won't take it off-roading if someone lends you their Prius. You park it in the garage. You'll put gas in it, and when you return it, maybe you'll clean it up real nice and, and give it a wash. This is a faithful steward. That's what Paul says in verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That they be found faithful. The goal of the steward is to be found faithful. To be found faithful. And faithfulness is, is not required, is, is required of the steward. It's not suggested. It's required. And look at verse 1. He says, this is how one should regard us. The, the us here is Paul Apollos, Cephas, or Peter, and the, those who came to the Corinthians were speaking the truth of the gospel to them. That's the us here. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We know that Paul is referring to himself. He's ministering the gospel. And he tells the Corinthians that they should think of him and Apollos and Cephas as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of, of God. What are the mysteries of God? When we see that, we think to ourselves, what are the mysteries? I, I, don't, I don't know what the mysteries of God are. But what Paul intends to communicate here is that they are all that, all that God has made known about who he is and all that he has promised to us and all the yes and amen that those promises have found in Christ and how it all comes together at the cross. So God has given Paul the truth of who he is and he's done for the Corinth and what he's done for the Corinthians. And so when we see that verse 1 should should come with an immense amount of weight for us. Look at this. This is how we you, one should regard us. If you're thinking about Paul and Apollos and Cephas, if you're thinking about these three men and anyone else who has proclaimed the gospel to you, O Corinthians, then you should consider the fact that, that it is God who gave us this thing and it didn't come from us. It didn't come internally. It wasn't there already. 
We should feel the weight of it because if the president came to us and said, I have a message for you to deliver, you would feel the weight of it. If someone with a ton of earthly authority, and this is not a political statement, it's an emotional one. How would you feel if the president or someone with a ton of earthly authority came to you and said, I have a message for you to deliver? You would feel the weight of it. And you would do it. You would deliver the message. Paul is saying, you, the Corinthians, he's saying, you, the Corinthians, should see that we, ministers of the gospel, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, have been given the world's most important message to deliver to you. That's what they should see. We are stewards of the message. And the thing we've been entrusted with is the gospel. And we are charged with delivering it to you. That's what Paul believed, and that's how he was going to act. Nothing that Paul did that we see, at least recorded in scripture, had anything to do with anything other than the fact that he had been entrusted with a message and that he was going to deliver it. Essentially, he says this, what you Corinthians think is of little consequence to me is actually of great consequence to me. Paul was a faithful steward. And then look at verses three through five. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. And he talks about this judgment. He talks about judgment from outside from the Corinthians, but then he also talks about the judgment that comes even internally. He says, I don't even judge myself. He's like, I'm not acquitted because I don't judge myself. I'm not pronounced innocent because I don't judge myself. But I don't judge myself. My conscience is clear, is what he's saying. He says, what you Corinthians think of me, how you evaluate me, doesn't really matter. God who appointed me, this is true of all stewards. The one who gives the thing to the steward is the one who judges the faithfulness of the steward. Not the one who's on the receiving end of the message, but the one who gives the message. So God gives the message to Paul. Paul proclaims it faithfully to the Corinthians. Paul will be judged by God and not by the Corinthians' assessment of how well he handles the message. His conscience is fine. He says he's not aware of anything that would be an argument against his faithfulness, but it's not his own opinion, but God's that matters. And so we ask ourselves the question, this verse two, we've said this several times in our time in 1 Corinthians. We've said, what is the Christian's metric for success? Right? What is the Christian's metric for success? What is Paul's metric for success? I can't get past verse 2. It is required of stewards that we be found faithful. That they be found faithful. So we ask ourselves the question, what is a Christian? A Christian is a steward of the gospel. Someone who has been transformed by the truth of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. That is the definition of a Christian. And if we're stewards of the gospel, then we have to ask ourselves, what is our metric for success? What is our goal? And our goal is faithfulness. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. If we're in Christ, just like Paul, we've been entrusted with the gospel. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, will our lives reflect wise stewardship of that precious message of which, to which we've been entrusted? Or will we take the Prius off-roading? 
Or will we park it outside in a hailstorm? Or will we return it with no gas in it? Paul's life did reflect wise stewardship of the gospel and he sold out completely. Nothing held him him back. And the words of our king should ring in our ears here from Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is what it means to steward the gospel well, to go and make disciples of all nations. When Jesus says that in Matthew 28, he's saying, steward the message of the gospel. I have granted it to you. I've given it to you. It belongs to you now. It is yours. Steward the message that you've been entrusted with. Allow it to affect everything that you say and do. Do not drift away from it. Keep the gospel at the very center of your life. Now, Paul is calling for the Corinthians to view him as a steward. And as steward of the gospel message, he's evaluated by God, not by man. But Paul's faithfulness in ministry is still apparent. And we can undeniably see that Paul's stewardship of the gospel is apparent and it's faithful. And he really wants the Corinthians to see that too. Not so that they can applaud Paul, Not so they can applaud Paul. Our faithfulness as stewards of the gospel is not so that we would be applauded, but so that Christ would be exalted. Next week, Blaze is going to preach, and he's going to preach on this next section of chapter, the second half-ish of of chapter 4. And when he gets to verse 16, you're going to see this. Paul says to the Corinthians, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. And we think to ourselves, why, why, Paul? Shouldn't we be imitating Christ? We say, yes, but Paul is doing that. He's faithfully stewarding the gospel. And when we get to chapter 11 in this letter, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul's faithful stewardship is worthy of imitation by the Corinthians and subsequently by us. Have you ever thought about this? Because you're thinking about discipleship. Discipleship, we can trace our discipleship back to Jesus. Every one of us in this room. The the message of the gospel has been faithfully proclaimed by men and women of God for generation upon generation, thousands of years, all the way back to Jesus. Paul received the message directly from Jesus himself. The Corinthians then become these second generation disciples. Those who he ministers to, we could maybe point to someone like Timothy, although he's not Corinthian, but we point to someone like Timothy. He's a second generation disciple. He's imitating Christ because he's imitating Paul. And the next step, and the next step. And here we sit in Jamestown, North Dakota in 2019. The beneficiaries of those who have stewarded the gospel well for a couple of millenniums. Do you want to know why our mission is to make disciples who make disciples? Our second question is this. What is the steward's mindset? Let me give you three words. The steward's mindset is this. Redirect, redirect, redirect. I said it a moment ago that Paul's stewardship and faithfulness in the proclamation of the gospel was not to, not to, 
point to himself or say, hey, look at how good and helpful I am to you, O Corinthians, but to say, uh, you ought be exalting Christ. And so the steward's mindset is to redirect away from himself or from herself. The steward is a steward because God made him or her a steward, not because of something innate. And the gospel message did not already reside in Paul. We know that. You read the book of Acts and you read the history of Paul, who's breathing murderous thoughts out against Christians. The gospel message did not, did not reside already in Paul, but was entrusted to Paul and Apollos by God. And again, okay, so if you're entrusted with someone's car, and you're driving that car, you stop at the grocery store, and, and someone walks up to you and says, hey man, that's a really nice car. Is your response going to be, is your, yeah, my car is pretty great, isn't it? Poor stewardship extends beyond its allotted jurisdiction. What you probably should say is, actually, it's my friend's car. I'll let him know that you said something. Redirect, redirect, redirect. The, the Corinthians didn't need to identify with Paul or Apollos. Those guys are just vessels. Verse 1. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Those guys are just vessels. They're stewards. They're servants. The Corinthians needed to acknowledge that God was the one who authorized Paul and Apollos for gospel ministry. And, and focus on who God was for them in Christ and the truth of the gospel. And their focus was always a mere men. And that was just an indication of immaturity like we talked about a couple weeks ago when Paul says, you're not ready for solid food. You're just drinking milk. And I have to come to you as those who are drinking milk. And I have to continue to give you the fundamentals. The Corinthians needed to acknowledge that God was the one who authorized Paul and Apollos for gospel ministry. And their immaturity bred disunity because immaturity always breeds disunity because immaturity goes after the vessel rather, rather, uh, rather the one who the vessel is pointing to. And a steward must humbly redirect to the one who has entrusted him or her with a resource or a task. And a faithless steward makes it about him or her. A faithful steward makes it about Christ. Look at verse 7 with me. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you received it? These are all rhetorical questions. We can answer them. For who sees anything different in you? No one. What did you have that you did not receive? Nothing. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I don't know. When the Corinthians created factions by identifying with men, with Paul or Apollos, what they did was claim that they possessed something more than the others. But Paul asked for who sees anything different in you? And though Paul and through Paul and through Apollos, no matter who the servant or the steward was, it was the gospel that they received. And this should generate humility in them. Not simply bragging or boasting. It should generate humility in them. Created boasting because they identified with mere men. But if they saw the men as vessels and as stewards and as servants, 
They would not brag. They would not boast. They would respond in humility. So the steward must redirect. This is his or her mindset. This is our mindset as those who have been trusted with the truth of the gospel. The gospel message. Our mindset is redirect, redirect, redirect. On to Christ. So in conclusion this morning, we're just going to give you a few things. We're going to move to the Lord's table in just a moment. We consider your own stewardship this morning. I'm going to ask you uh, several questions. I'm going to give you a few thoughts. So we consider our own stewardship, yes, in small things like where we started this morning with our money and how we manage our, our, our plastic and our paper. Because if we mismanage those, we're probably mismanaging the biggest thing. But we consider our stewardship in the biggest thing, and that's the gospel. That's what we're going to focus on. Consider this morning your own stewardship of the gospel. Because if you're in Christ, the gospel has been entrusted to you, and you are responsible to proclaim it to make disciples. Faithfulness takes responsibility. Faithlessness abdicates or ignores responsibility. So, when you think about this, how do we faithfully steward the gospel? Now, I can give you three things. I'm going to give you three things this morning. But the reality is that this is an ongoing application that exists throughout every moment of every day of the Christian life. You must be working out how you faithfully steward the gospel in every moment. I can't give you three things and then walk away from this place and expect to be a better steward. Gospel stewardship extends to every moment of every, every day. So the problem with application and sermons is we hit a few things, but the reality is it needs to be worked out in each and every one of our lives in every way. We'll still do it. So by way of application, three areas to think about when you need, uh, when you, you're, where you need to be stewarding the gospel and need to be stewarding it well. And this is certainly not exhaustive, but here's a start. First, first area, your own heart. Consider your own heart. It's not, it's not hard. Consider your own heart. Your heart must be soaked in the gospel. It must be soaked in the gospel. That language, because it's, it's taking on water. It's like a sponge. Your heart is a porous thing. And, and you're, you're constantly dipping it in things. You're constantly dipping it in NFL football. You're constantly dipping it in your work. You're constantly dipping it in the TV shows or the books that you choose to watch or read. You're constantly dipping it in the, the, the places. This is about formation, right? You are soaking yourself in something every day. And so the question is, what are you soaking yourself in? And how can that thing be replaced? If it's not the gospel, how can that thing be replaced with the gospel? So your own heart needs to be soaked in the gospel. It needs to be saturated in the truth of the gospel. Last week we talked about knowing the gospel. Again, we saw that, that building metaphor last week and the foundation, Paul laid the foundation amongst the Corinthians and the foundation was the gospel itself and then the, what was built upon it needed to be vetted by the Corinthians but, but first and foremost, the foundation was the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do we know how to articulate the gospel? We talked about knowing it. Friends, we have to get it down. Know it, know how to articulate it. 
And friends, this is, this is more than just an evangelistic type uh, outworking for us. This is more than simply being able to say it so that we can speak it to unbelievers. Because we need the gospel to be preached with, well, that's very important. We need the gospel to be preached to our own hearts every moment of every day. Because we're going to drift away from it. It is important to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light to a world that is in darkness so that they may be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. But, but the reality is our hearts need to be soaked in the truth of the gospel. You need to be able to articulate the gospel because you need to preach it to yourself. Our sin separated us from God. But God sent his son, Jesus, again, to live the life that we could not live because of our sin and sinfulness. He paid for our sin through his sacrificial death so that we might have forgiveness of sins. That should have been us. But Jesus died instead so that our sin would be forgiven. Jesus was buried. He was raised, ensuring us in eternity in the presence of God the Father for all of eternity if we trust him and repent of our sin. This is the truth of the gospel. And we have to know it enough to say it, like really say it. Good stewards know the ins and outs of the things they've been entrusted with. Poor stewards are unfamiliar with that which they've been entrusted. The gospel needs to be applied to our hearts because when we feel condemned, which you inevitably will feel condemned this week because of some activity or action or thought that you have, when you feel condemned this week, you need to recognize that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that possible? Because the condemnation that was owed to you was taken on Christ. He was condemned so that we don't have to be. And when we give into sin and temptation again, Jesus paid for that at the cross. Repent and turn to him. And when you feel like you have no direction in life, when you wake up in the morning and there's nowhere to go, there's nothing before you, all the doors and all the windows are shut, you think to yourself, I have no place to go. You must recognize and realize that through the gospel, you have a good shepherd who is leading you in paths of righteousness. Not so that you might be made much of, but for his name's sake. He purchased you. He purchased his sheep with his blood. The gospel needs to be applied to your heart. So the first place that we need to think about the stewardship of the gospel is in our own hearts. It's the first place we need to go. Second place, I'm just going to give you these spheres of life. In your work. In your work. You need to steward the gospel well in your work. And whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a doctor or a lawyer or a whatever you are, you need to steward the gospel in your work. And again, this, this extends a little bit further than just, we need to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have. 
However, we also need to recognize that in our work, we need to steward the gospel as it applies to, to us and how we approach our work. The gospel, let me give you a simple way. The gospel gives you rest. The gospel gives you rest. Steward the gospel by resting this week. Steward the gospel by resting this week. I'm not saying don't work. I'm not saying take a sick day. What I'm saying is understand that your performance isn't gaining you anything before God. That is not an allowance to not work hard. It is intended to take the pressure off. You have all you need in Christ and your identity is in him. No amount of performance in the workplace can grant you a greater identity than you already possess in Christ Jesus. What did you have that you did not receive? What did you, then, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I like to boast in my productivity. You probably know that. I repent. We need to take a Sabbath. Sabbath is rest. We need to acknowledge and allow the gospel to sink in as we work. And the world will scream at you, your identity is found here. It isn't. Don't buy into the lie. We don't buy what the world is selling. If we do, we'll be tempted to work all the time and work with no Sabbath is slavery. Apply the gospel, steward the gospel in your work by resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, another sphere in your home. How does a steward of the gospel faithfully steward the gospel in the home? And a steward of the gospel, stewarding the gospel in the home is by taking responsibility to form it into your children, no matter the age and your, and, and, and in your spouse as well. If you're single, be preparing your heart. I say form it into your children because our children, many of us have young kids in here or kids who are still in formative stage of life. They're like lumps of, of clay and they're soaking up everything that you're doing. We form it into our children. Men, we in particular need to be active in this area. We don't plop our kids in front of the TV, go to the Bible and go to the Bible rather and speak about the excellencies of Christ regularly. When your wife has a difficult day with your kids or at work or wherever she finds herself throughout the day, listen well and find a way to encourage her with the gospel. Not a, not a flaccid, tomorrow's a new day. Guess I'm guilty of that. It'll get better. Jesus is her everything and all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. We are not our wives' everything. Faithfulness takes responsibility. Faithlessness ignores responsibility. And kids, if you're a kid in here and your parents are forgetful and sinful, we are. We think about our lives think that they're complicated. <laughs> I think my life is complicated. Kids, ask your parents questions about what they're reading in the Bible. 
Ask us to pray with you. Ask us to sing a hymn with you or a worship song that we sang on Sunday. So consider those three things. And again, the application of this stewardship of the gospel idea extends far beyond just our own hearts and our homes and our workplaces. It extends to every moment of every single day. And so we each, each of us in this room, Buffalo City Church, we are responsible to work this stewardship idea out everywhere that we find ourselves throughout the course of the week. That's the admonition. But we as a church also want to be equipping each other with the gospel, and we want to provide opportunities to faithfully steward the gospel. So if you're thinking, I don't have a clue how to share the gospel, and I don't have a clue how to speak the gospel to a brother or sister of Christ, or I'm really uncertain how the gospel even applies to my daily life and my situation, or I'm being prompted by the Holy Spirit to do this, but I don't know how or even where to start, don't feel guilty, don't be ashamed. In humility, step up, own it, and get around some people who can help you out. We talk about community groups. Community groups are a great place to do this. Community groups aren't designed as social gatherings. We should put the ax to them right away if they're social gatherings. But where we put ourselves to intentionally be refined. And so when you go to community group this week, when you go to community group this week, you ask yourself and ask others, how can we be faithful stewards of the gospel? And if you aren't connected there, or maybe you've been on the fence, I want to remind you that our metric for success is faithfulness. Do you have avenues in your life that are prompting you, that are prompting faithfulness in your own identity as a steward of the gospel? And some of you may say, yes, I do. It's a spouse or a family member. Great, awesome, go. Spend time with that individual as they refine you in understanding how you can steward the gospel well. But let me give you a warning. That can become a closed loop. And what I mean by that is that my wife is the primary person who can offer me criticism and feedback in my life about areas where I'm not necessarily stewarding the gospel well in my own heart or my own home or in my workplace or wherever I find myself throughout the course of the week. My wife is one person. And while I trust her more than anyone else on the face of the earth, my wife is still only one person that can quickly become a closed loop. Because the things that she sees may not be the things that another brother or sister in Christ sees and can point out to me. Consider that. I need more angles. You need more angles prompting faithful stewardship of the gospel in our lives. So we need to seek more angles out. That is one of the reasons that God gave us the church. So as stewards of the gospel, we want to be found faithful and redirect off of ourselves and onto all that God is for us in Christ. And although we will often respond faithlessly, there's only one who has always responded faithfully. So we're going to turn our attention to the Lord's table because that's the one who we celebrate here. We celebrate Jesus Christ, the one who always responded faithfully. The, the broken body, the shed blood reminds us of the perfect obedience that he engaged in, that we did not, but that bought our own obedience and the forgiveness of our sins. As we go to the Lord's table, he is who we remember. This is a picture of the gospel. When we come to this table, this is a stewardship event. We are stewarding the gospel. You want another application point? This is it. It's not a ritual. It's not a, 
It's not a, it's not a rite of passage. Part of our faithful gospel stewardship is done around this table. So don't, don't, this morning, don't flippantly approach this. Don't come up here and think to yourself, oh, this is another step in the Sunday morning process for me. It's another checkbox to hit this morning. Don't flippantly approach it, but allow the weight of it to sink in. And later in 1 Corinthians, Paul will say that this table is about proclamation. It's about proclamation. It's proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Why is that important? Verse 5. This, the, the second half. God will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. The Lord sees the heart. Faithful stewardship of the gospel requires a new one. A new heart. The only way a new heart can come is through trusting Jesus. So do not come up here this morning to this table and take the elements in a, in a mindless manner. Do not come up here and take the elements with a lifeless heart. See the cross that allowed you the love, your love for Jesus to grow. See the precious blood that was spilled so that you might know your God, a holy God, a set-apart God, so that you might be set apart, the forgiveness of your sins, so that you might stand before him. See the broken body that did the will of the Father perfectly and let the weight sink in. What is pictured here is what you've been entrusted with. This is the message that we've been entrusted with together, Buffalo City Church. Not a message of moralism or religiosity or ritual or rite of passage, but the establishment of God's own people through the sacrifice of the greatest treasure, God's own son, Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's why we're doing this this morning. And so when you're prepared, the worship team is going to come up and play. And when you're prepared in your own heart, come up here, grab the elements, take them back, participate either up here or in your seat. Allow this time to be a time where you think about the realities of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus and how then he turned around and gave you that message and how you're stewarding it in every moment of every day. If there's sin that's entangled you, step away from it, confess it, repent of it. If there's another in this room that you're at odds with, go to that person, speak to them. Ask for forgiveness, bury the hatchet. Jesus says to do this. We're gonna approach this table now. If you have kids in here, we just ask you to exercise discretion. If they pronounce faith in, in Christ, then, then by all means, have them participate. If not, please use it as an opportunity to share the gospel with your kids. If you don't know where you stand this morning, if, if we're talking about the gospel and all these words are, some are hitting and some aren't, just don't, don't approach the table this morning. Just take some time, process through it. I'd love to talk with you if that's you. We'd love to have a conversation. So again, we're going to go to the table. I'm going to pray right now. We'll head to the table together and, uh, and then we'll continue to worship.